Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. I know we've been in this for a while, but I so feel there's one other thing the Lord wants to share in the fear of the Lord that I am like, I've, I don't know what else to say, but I, I am really moved by it. I'm gripped by it. I feel like everything's been building up to this, and it's actually going to open the door for another conversation when we come into the new year about what it means that Jesus is coming back with rewards and that one day each and every one of us will come before the Lord. And uh, as believers, it says we come before the judgment seat of Christ, which is actually this really beautiful thing, and God's going to actually reward. And there's something deeply connected to this reality that we're all going to give an account before the Lord that actually causes us to walk in this holy fear of the Lord now. Uh, and so I'm just going to ask you to, to really just stay with me because I, I, I think this is, is so, so important. And I, 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 let me say this. I say this with humility uh, and honestly with feeling completely inadequate because when I look at my own life, I, I see how much of my life needs to still learn what I'm saying. So if anything, I'm just like I'm going right through this with you guys. So if you could turn with me to Acts chapter 9, I want to start here, and then we're going to really break this thing open. Yes, Acts chapter 9. So again, it's been, I, I don't know how long, I know we've had different things deeper and other messages and whatnot, but it's, I feel like it's been a few months and for the majority, we've been coming back to this concept of fear of God, and obviously you can't touch it at all, but we've been trying to just break some of, I think, the misconceptions of what it means for a believer, for a believer. And, uh, and one of the things that I've found is the fear of the Lord is such a, such a weighty concept to really, how do you put language to what it means for, for a, 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 a human, uh, what should happen to a human when he grows in the knowledge of his infinite majestic creator? Uh, fear is often probably not even always the best word. Sometimes the translations, again, we've talked about awesome and thrilled, uh, undone, and just this holy fascination. But what I found is that it's, it's probably easier to describe the fear of the Lord than define it. It's really hard to, to, to define it. So we've looked at things that delightfully trembling before God, right? Like standing out on the ocean. And when you see a storm coming in, there's something that does to you when you see something that's more powerful than you that honestly could in a moment destroy you, but, but there's a joy when you know it can't destroy you, right? And because of the blood of Jesus, we know that the wrath of God has been removed, so there's still this trembling, but it's a, de it's a delightful one. But one of the other things that we talked about is how the fear of the Lord is not incompatible with the love of the Lord. Uh, actually, the love of God is, is, a, is a really beautiful way of seeing what it really means to fear God. And we talked about the context of marriage, and I want you to just remind you here that in marriage, uh, if I love my wife, there is a holy jealousy, this healthy fear that I don't want my life to ever do anything to hinder this covenant because I so cherish the covenant I've been given with her. So there's actually this healthy fear that's almost like a guardrail. It, it, it causes me to never want my life to do anything to disappoint or to disrupt the, this beautiful relationship that I've been given. And that's kind of the idea of the fear of God as a believer. There is this jealous love, this... Um, this godly stewardship and zeal to say, Lord, I want every part of my life to honor you and bless you because I so cherish you and the price that you paid for me to have this relationship with you. And along those lines, there's another idea of fear of the Lord that I want to hit. Um, 
honestly, uh, Corey Russell, who's an individual who's really just impacted my life for the last few years, he put it this way, that the fear of the Lord, another way to look at it is that everything matters. Every single thing matters. And what that means is that if I know that, that my whole life is before the gaze of God Almighty, and if I want to please him and love him because I so cherish this relationship, then I want every part of my life to bless him. Every single thing matters. The fear of the Lord brings us into the revelation that God sees, God cares, and God rewards. He rewards. God sees, God cares. God sees every part of our life. He genuinely cares about what's going on in every part of our life and that he's actually rewarded. That's what we're going to see. There's rewards in this life, and then I promise you we're going to hit this more in the new year. There's actually eternal rewards that Jesus speaks so often about. And one day you and I will come before the Lord, and we will hit, be hit with the revelation in a moment that God actually saw our whole lives, that he actually saw the real me. And there's something that happens when we're aware of the all-pervasive presence of God that causes a healthy fear of the Lord in the sense that I know everything's before him, and therefore, because I love him, I want to give him every part. I don't want to just give him what man sees. <laughs> I want to give every aspect of my life. So let's look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31. There's really two portions of scripture I want to share in 2 Corinthians and then 1 Peter, but I'm going to start here. Acts chapter 9, you guys with me? The fear of the Lord, another way to see is that every single thing matters. Guys, if this gets in our heart, there is such a step of maturity we're going to take. Uh, this is one of the scriptures the Lord put on my heart. This is the end of Paul's conversion, or Saul. And every, every once in a while in the book of Acts, you'll see Luke, the writer of Acts, he'll give these summary statements. And it's typically coupled with how the church was growing. He gives, I think it's about 10 of them. And these are really important statements because he's giving us an essential part of the church. He's not just giving us like a one-off thing. He's trying to tell us what is a core part of the DNA of this church and why it's growing. And so here's one of these summary statements, Acts 9, verse 31. He says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Okay? And then it says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, I love this. <laughs> I'm all for organization and strategy and vision, uh, but these guys weren't really that interested in trying to figure out how to break growth barriers. <laughs> they just walked in certain principles and these growth barriers were just broken. <laughs> they lived in such a way that they attracted the lost. And one of the things that Luke is highlighting by the unction of the Spirit is that one of the key marks of the early church is that they walked in the fear of the Lord. And when I was thinking about that, when you walk in something, what does that mean? This is an expression you see often in scripture. To walk in something means that your entire life is coming under a reality. So for example, Paul says, do not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. What he's saying is don't just let a day, a season, an hour, a moment where you're governed by the spirit. Let your entire life be subjected to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and be governed by that reality. So when it says the early church walked in the fear of the Lord, what it means is that their entire lives came under this reality. Every single part of their lives was touched by this aspect of they wanted to so jealously please God, love God, honor God. The fear of the Lord touched them because they walked in it. The reason this is so important, 
I think is because there's a trap that I know I'm, I, I fall into, that a lot of us can fall into, which is that we typically place a higher value on our public life compared to our private life. Why do we do that? We buy the lie or make that mistake because we judge our, our lives of how successful they are based on what man thinks of us or how we stack up to others. And therefore, we are able to project an image in public, but when we go to uh, behind the scenes of our life, our lives look completely different. And I believe the Lord wants to deliver us from living our lives asking the wrong question, which is, what does man think of me? And he wants us to start living for this question, which is, what is heaven's perspective for my life? And something happens when we start recognizing that God sees all of our life, that we start living for an audience of one. I'm telling you guys, there's so much that's going to come out from this. You start, you don't need to worry about why this person has this many talents and you have this because you recognize that God has given you a certain measure of talents and all he's looking for is for you to be faithful in the assignment that he has given you. The fear of the Lord, guys, when we start walking in the fear of the Lord and we understand every part of our life is before God. Are you guys following? This is really important because here's a trap. I'm telling you, to be very vulnerable, it's really easy it's really easy to project something here on a Sunday and my life look a lot different Monday through Saturday. You know why? It's because I need God to continually break this idea that if I look well before you and you say you're awesome, then I think I'm doing really well. The only thing that matters is what does God say about my life? Guys, that's the only thing that matters. And the fear of the Lord breaks this idea that there is such a thing as secular and sacred. In other words, some things are really sacred, some things are really holy, but some things are really secular. The fear of the Lord gets us to see that every single thing in your life matters before God. When we start living with the consciousness of his all-pervasive presence, we start recognizing that the pulpit and the altar is not only the holy and sacred place. When we start realizing the omnipresence of God, he's with me everywhere I go, and we start walking the fear of the Lord. Guys, the, the, the Sunday gathering is not only the holy place. You know what becomes holy? Your living room becomes holy. Your bedroom becomes holy. What you put on the screen in your house becomes holy. Your conversations become holy. When you start to recognize that the fear of the Lord awakens me that God sees the real me. And that is not to cause us to walk in continual fear or afraid. It's actually to encourage you to know that it really matters before him. And when no one else sees you, he does. So keep being faithful in the assignments that he has given you. Like everything before God, everything become, comes before him. There's no such thing as secular or sacred. And again, this is, let me put it this way, every single minute of every single day, Guys, it, 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 it's before the Lord, and it really means something to him. There's never a wasted season. And this is not to create, I want to be clear, this is not to create a pressured perfection. I thank God that my life is rested and rooted in the finished work of God and the grace of God. But what this does produce, as I just said, it produces faithfulness. It produces encouragement. It produces a holy intention that says, if he knows all of my life and he cares about every part, then I want to give him every part of my life. <laughs> I don't want to just give him the places where man sees me. I want to give him everything that I have. Every single part of it. Uh, I, I, was, I was going through the Beatitudes. And uh, again, I'm just, I'm just sharing some preliminary thoughts on this. So we're going to get into 2 Corinthians 5. But when I was going through the Beatitudes, I was confronted with the reality that I think Jesus is trying to awaken us to this healthy, holy, godly fear 
when he teaches so often on the God who sees in secret? How often does Jesus, when he talks about fasting, prayer, giving, does he say something like this? Don't do it in a way for man to see you in the public place. He says, but your father who sees what is done in secret will openly reward you. Do you know that God sees, God cares, and God rewards? God sees what is done in the secret. (laughs) That's a really profound statement. Like I can project things, but God knows who I really am. And he knows who you really are. And Jesus tried to awaken us to this. And here's what I find. When I think about that we serve the God who who sees what's done in secret, two things. That's deeply encouraging and comforting, but that can also be deeply challenging sometimes. That can be deeply convicting at times. On the comforting side, I want you to know, this is going to become so clear when we see in 2 Corinthians 5. One day you and I will stand before the Lord and it says our whole lives will give an account. And this is a beautiful thing. But I want you to know that we're going to be shocked And I think we're going to be so surprised at how the Lord took such notice of every little thing that you did when no one else saw it. The fact that he sees what's done in secret, there's something so comforting to know that one day we're going to come before the Lord and we're going to find out that our tiny little weak yeses that seem so insignificant, God said, I saw them. Matthew 25, when you do it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And one day we're going to come before Jesus and stand before him. And he's going to say, you know when no one saw that? (laughs) I did. (laughs) And it moved my heart. It moved my heart. Like, guys, you have no idea. When, when When you pray for someone else's breakthrough and no one else sees that, you know who sees that? God. He's the God who sees what's done in secret. I want you, because this, see, this, this gets you to, to remain faithful, knowing that the Lord, you're doing it for the Lord. When, when man, when, you, when there's someone so hard to forgive, but you forgive them, the God who's, who sees in secret, he sees when you forgave when it was so hard to forgive. He sees when you pressed in for someone else's breakthrough. He sees when you gave out of your lack. No one else saw. They didn't know how pressing finances were, but you said, God, I'm going to continue to be faithful. No one else saw it. God says, I saw that. And one day you're going to come before Jesus, and you're going to be so moved as I will to find out that those things touched his heart, blessed his heart, and then he's going to actually bless you as a result of those things. So comforting. It's doing something in my heart to know none of these things are in vain. Everything matters before the Lord. But there's also a part where that can be really challenging too. <laughs> that he's the God that sees what's done in secret. And, and again, he's jealous for every part of our life. And I, you don't need to turn here, just, just listen to this. Ezekiel 8, verse 12. God is speaking to Ezekiel, well, to the people of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. And this is what he says. Then God said to me, Ezekiel, son of man. So God's speaking to Ezekiel, son of man. Have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark? He's saying, have you seen what they do in secret? (laughs) Each in his room of pictures, which is idols. He says they have idols in their heart in the secret place. He says, for they say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And so the issue was Israel said God does not see, he does not care, he's not alive, he has no idea. And so what was happening was the Israelites were coming in the public place, going through the rituals of all the sacrifices, offering up all these things. But God says, do you understand that I actually see what's going on in the secret place? Beloved, if you or me or someone you know has idols in their life and they're not living whole life transformation, pray for the fear of God to touch their life. 
pray for the fear of the Lord to touch their life, that they would be awakened that God really cares about every part of their life. And that if they want to please him, then let every part come before him. Every part, guys. The living room, as you said, the bedroom, the commutes to work, the workplace, every single thing matters before the Lord, which is, I think is just such an encouraging thing. R religion, religion is built around the premise that God is both impersonal and powerless. So religion builds a system that, that has principles of God, but the God that's built around, you can't know him, and, and he's dead. He's powerless. He doesn't see, speak, act, or do anything. Once that happens, we get bound by religion, compromise always comes into our hearts. It's the pattern that happened to Israel over and over and over again. And God would raise up prophets and voices to actually call them out and say, no, 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 God is not distant. God is not dead. God is not indifferent. He really does see and he really does care for your life and every part of it. And it would awaken them back to the fear of the Lord and they would come back to purity and walking with God again. There's something about, there's something about religion that, that when, it, when it creates an image of God that he is just, he's just a theory, our hearts begin to wander. Uh, one of the great stories uh, in the Old Testament I love is when um, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I know a lot of you guys know it. But, but the issue was Israel was teetering back and forth between worshiping Baal and worshiping Yahweh. And Elijah says, well, let's make a decision today. And they go to Mount Carmel. They set up two sacrifices. Whichever one sends fire, Baal or Yahweh, we know that's the real God. Long story short is that Elijah calls out to Yahweh and fire comes. When the Israelites saw that God was alive, that God moved, they fell on their faces in a healthy fear of God and said, he is God. For too long they had thought that he was not alive, he was dead, he was distant, that he wasn't there. But when they saw God move, something was awakened in them. Abraham and, Abim uh, and King Abimelech, I don't know if you ever read this story. Abraham and Sarah and back in Genesis are traveling through the promised land. And they come to really the Philistine land, which is King Abimelech. And Sarah must have been quite beautiful because King Abimelech wanted to take her for his own wife, which was allowed in those days. And Abraham feared that if he said it was his wife, he'd be put to death. So he said, it's my sister. So Abimelech takes Sarah, and that night Abimelech has a dream by the Lord that says, this is actually not his sister, this is his wife, and if you don't return her, I will kill you because he's a prophet. <laughs> So long story short, Abimelech goes back and returns Sarah to Abraham, but he basically says, why did you do this? You almost brought a curse on me. And Abraham's response is fascinating. Genesis 20, 11. He says, well, when I looked around, I thought to myself, there is no fear of the Lord here. He says, there is no consciousness of God here. There's no awareness of God. There's no thought that God sees here. There's no love for God. There's no thought that God cares about what's happening here. Therefore, anything can happen here. And he thought that if I were to say who she really is, I'd be put to death because there's no fear of the Lord here. Something happens when we get brought into the awareness that God, God really sees, God really cares, and God really responds and acts. Yes? yes. Every single thing matters in our lives. So I want you to come with me to 2 Corinthians 5. And I want to hit two portions of Scripture before we close out. Second Corinthians 5, again, we're looking at this idea, the fear of the Lord, everything matters before God. 
We want every part of our life to come before him because God sees, God, reward, God, God cares, and God rewards. Now, I want everyone to hear me really carefully. <laughs> Please listen to this. I want to get into things on Advent in the next few weeks, so we're going to come back to this. This may raise more questions and answers right now. How many of you have ever heard about coming before the judgment seat of Christ as a believer? Okay, this is, this is different than the great white throne. We're going to talk about this. And, and I'm going to share a little bit on this, but this is, you're going to see how so many times in Scripture, walking in the fear of God is connected to the awareness that we're going to one day come before the judgment seat of Christ. Which again, I think there's a lot of, I know I've had some weird thoughts about this. It's a really beautiful thing. And we're going to talk about rewards. You know that Jesus says in Revelation 22, Behold, I'm coming quickly with rewards in my hand. He is a rewarder. The Bible speaks of crowns, garments, all different things we're going to look at. There's something this is doing to my heart to, to start living for eternity. We need a bigger vision than a five-year vision for our life. <laughs> we need a bigger vision than just living for 50 years. Jesus actually invites us to live with a vision for eternity. I'm talking like 500,000-year visions for our life. Your tiny decisions right now will affect, ha have an impact on eternity. I'm not talking about salvation. We're going to be clear in this. But on eternity. Jesus often talked about living with vision for eternity and the age to come because it was so real to him. It was so real to him. For example, many of the parables have to deal with stewardship. And one of the things that Jesus often says is things like this. Because you've been faithful with the little I've given you, I will give you much in the age to come. We read through these things. We're going to say, wait, wait, what did he just say? He's responding to what we've done with what he's put in our life. And he says, you're going to receive something for the age to come. So, so important. So the fact that God sees, God cares, God rewards. Man, I feel such a sobriety on this. This means that we need to live in light of eternity. So listen to me, because this can get really wonky. Like, what about grace? What does this mean? I'm gonna, I want us to have a right perspective of how we walk in this. Uh, but there is something really, really beautiful. So let's, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 through 11. I'm going to read in its entirety and then, and then come back and kind of break it open. So Paul's writing. I just want to give context. It's really only a few verses we're going to hit. But verse 6 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Here's where we start to hit home. Verse 9 says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So what is Paul's aim? What is his chief goal in his life? He says, I want to please him in every aspect of my life. This is the healthy fear of the Lord that so deeply loves God and so prizes him above all else. It says, I want to do whatever it takes to please his heart. And, but he says something very important. Look at verse 10. Are you guys there? Please hear this. For, he's speaking to the church. For, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due, his recompense, his reward for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil or good or bad. Just stay with me. We're going to understand what that means. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So here is the summary. Paul is making a connection to the fear of the Lord and wanting to please him. And Paul understands something. This is Psalm 147.11. 
It says the Lord takes pleasure in those who walk in the fear of the Lord. The Lord takes pleasure. Why? Because when you fear him, you take pleasure in him. And Paul is making connection that those who have a healthy fear of God will actually walk in a life that pleases him in all areas. And Paul is saying this is so important because one day you and I, we all, he says, will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So Paul says we need to have the fear of God grip our hearts, the good fear, giving all that we have, knowing that this is the key to living a whole life that pleases him because one day we'll come before him and give him account of our whole life. Are you with me? Do you know it says that we all will appear? You and I have an appointment that's coming up, and it's the greatest appointment of our life. Every single one of us will appear before this judgment seat of Christ. Now hear me, hear me, because I want to break open some things that could be misunderstanding. You say, hold on, hold on. Judgment seat. If you were with us the first week we did this, I talked about in 1 John 4, that perfect love casts out fear. Fear of judgment, fear of punishment. John says that we should have confidence as we draw near to the day of judgment. Now this is saying that we walk in the fear of the Lord, knowing that we're going to come before the judgment seat of Christ. What is going on here? They're contradicting. Uh-uh. There's two different judgment seats that we, that we come before. There is what Revelation 20 calls the great white throne. And then there is what you have here in another place of scripture called the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne is very simple. It has one book called the book of life. And you come before and it says, and if your name is in it, this is where the Bible talks about the separating of the goats and the sheep, the wheat and the chaff. It says every person will come before the great white throne and if your name is in that book, you are going to enter into eternity with Jesus or you will actually be cast away from him. How do you get in the book? Faith in Jesus. It's really simple. It's judgment of righteousness. That Coming before the great white throne, we have no fear of that throne, like bad fear. Because we come with confidence knowing that's the day, that's wedding day. That's the day we get to be with him forever. For we are not afraid of the eternal wrath of God because we put our faith in the one who took that wrath for us. Therefore, we actually rejoice as we think about coming before his great white throne. But that is not what's being spoken about here. The judgment seat of Christ is different. This is something specifically that believers will come before. Just believers. You say, well, what, what does this mean? This has nothing to do with salvation and being judged on, on whether or not you'll enter the kingdom. This is all about giving an account for what you did with the life that you received from Christ. Salvation is not what's at stake here. When we talk about coming before the Lord, he's not saying, did you do enough to get into heaven? What he's looking at and what he's doing is he's actually rewarding us for what we did with the free gift of salvation. What he's looking at is saying, what did you do with the life that I gave you? And because God's nature is to reward, he actually has set something up that he can bestow blessings and gifts and reward you for simply yielding to what he's placed inside of you. So I want to be really clear that the the judgment seat of Christ is not whether or not we've done enough to get into heaven. Guys, there's one way to do that. That's faith in Christ. The, the, the judge, that's the, the great white throne. The judgment seat of Christ is us, is God rewarding us for how we've responded to the new life that we have been given. What did we do with the precious gift that the Lord has given us? And God is so generous. He's so generous 
that he rewards us for simply receiving the free gift he gave and then yielding our lives to say yes to having him work through us. He places his spirit, he places gifts, promises, and he says, the more you yield and are faithful to those things, one day you'll come before me and I will bless you for simply really just getting out of the way and letting me work through you. <laughs> I just think that's um, like amazing. His nature is a rewarder. It's all throughout scripture. Hebrews 11.6, one of our favorite texts, says that it is impossible to please God without faith. And you cannot come near to God unless you believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now that's in this life, but God is a rewarder. It's part of his nature. And he has set up a place. See, he set up a place where we can come before where he will let you know that your small yeses and things that you thought no one saw did not go in vain. It's because he wants to bless and wants to reward that he has set this up. When I think of giving an account, I don't know about you, but this is the thought I've had. I thought about coming before the judgment seat of Christ. When I heard of giving an account when I was younger, I thought that meant coming before God. All of the cloud of witnesses are there. Big screens are on. And my whole life is being played out before the Lord. And I'm just being shamed and condemned. Beloved, God is not going to work against the work that he's done in Christ in your life. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not coming before a judgment seat to be condemned. For you have been liberated. Colossians 1 says that when you were cut off, alienated, hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, the Father in his goodwill has reconciled you through the death of his Son in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. So coming before the judgment seat is not us coming with our head hanging low and saying, let me tell you all the things that you've done wrong. What, what we can happen, we'll see, is that there, there can be a place where we will come to the awareness that we've given our life to things that have no value or worth. And we'll say, why did I do that? But Jesus wants to reward. He wants to actually bless for the things that you have said yes to in your life. Does that make sense? The, the, the judgment seat of Christ is actually a profoundly positive thing. And when this gets into our hearts, again, I can only say it this way, the more that this gets into our hearts, the more a healthy fear of God grips our heart, the more whatever we're doing, whether or not a pastor, a leader, anyone sees you, you know that it's before the Lord. And I don't know about you, but one day I want to get before the Lord, and I want to be able to, I want to, be able to say, God, every part of my life, I gave it to you. Not perfection, but holy intention. Every part of my life, I said, God, I want to give you my best foot forward. And when I fell, I thank you, I fell right into the arms of Christ, but I want to give you everything. I don't want to just give you my public place. I want to give you every aspect of my life. The judgment seat of Christ is such a beautiful thing. The word in the, in, the, in the Greek means bima. It's the bima seat. I want you to hear this. You know what this means? It pulls on, a, on a, an illustration in the in first century. Bima was the seat that a judge would sit in athletic contests or like the Olympic Games. And what would happen is people would run races or do things. How often does Paul say run to win the prize? This is what he's talking about. One day we're going to come before the Bema seat of Christ, which is this picture of, of a judge at, a, of, of, at an athletic contest. And you know what the judges would do then? They wouldn't shame and condemn. That's not what it was about. They would give crowns and wreaths based on what you did when you were running. 
Listen, God, this is so beautiful. You're going to come before him, and God's going to release crowns and garments over things. And I want us to get it into our heart now that it really matters because I want you to store something up. He is our greatest treasure, but he's a rewarder. And there's other things that he wants to do. And I want us to know that one day it's going to matter because 1 Corinthians 3 says, In a moment at this judgment seat, all of our works will be burned up. Only that which is of the kingdom will remain. And I don't want to get there and find out that I built my life on things that had nothing of kingdom value. I want to say, oh my goodness, if I knew this, I would have done this so differently. For Hebrews says, all men live once and are appointed to die once, which means we get one shot at this. We get one life. One life to give everything to the one who gave everything for us. One life to say, no regrets. God, I give you everything. I, give, I say it again, I feel like there's so much, I give, you, I give you my household, I give you my bedroom, I give you every part of me, God. I give it all. L look at this scripture again, verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done. Okay, each one may receive... I want you to know when you come before the Lord and I come before the Lord, I'm not coming with my wife. I'm not coming with Coy Russell, who has been so impactful, or whoever you want to put in it. I'm not coming with them. Each one will receive. God is not depositing some like general thing. He's going to get so personal and specific with your life. And what this does is this breaks the idea of us living in this weird comparison with one another. God's going to respond to each one of you. God is not looking for you to be a Billy Graham. <laughs> if that's what he's called you to be, that's what he's called you to be. Some of us are called to be faithful stay-at-home parents and disciple our kids in the ways of the Lord. Some of us will be called to Africa to preach crusades. Jesus is saying, each one of you I'm going to respond to. It doesn't matter. It's not about you trying to be bigger, better, more influenced platforms. He's saying, be faithful in the assignment. If you were given five talents, be faithful to that. You were given one talent, be faithful to that. Whatever you were given, be faithful, and I'm going to respond to that thing. Because what happens in my heart is I start, if I don't get this in my heart, I'm like, well, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I, can't, I don't pray like Caesar does. God, why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? Whatever it may be, right? Why do I have five talents? Why do they have... Uh, why do I have one talent, they have five talents? This will destroy that when you know the Lord is not look, looking for success in that way. He's looking for faithfulness. Faithfulness. And every one of us, he's going to come and he's going to respond to the very specific tasks that he's given you. So if you're, wherever you find yourself in that spectrum, do it unto the Lord. Do it faithfully unto the Lord. Yes? I'll read it again. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is really interesting. Evil, in other translations, is bad. This word is phalos. Now, this does not, bad, does not mean in performance. It means in quality. In other words, the, the, the word actually means in the Greek, worthless, fruitless, pointless, vanity, in vain, empty. In other words, when we come before him, the stuff that gets burned up is the stuff that we've wasted our time on. It's not a matter of him, it's not about being condemned, but, but here's what we're going to find and say, wow, why, this is where I'm getting so convicted on things in my life. Why would I put my time in things that are so worthless? That's what it's saying. Things that are so pointless. 
Things that are not built in the kingdom, things that are fruitless, for they cannot stand coming before the Holy One. But everything that he gave us that we said yes to will remain. Does that make sense? One day, you and I will have this appointment, and it is a glorious day. And we will come into the immediate revelation that God saw everything, God cared about everything, and God rewards everything. And in that moment, I'll say it again, I believe that we will be shocked at how he brings to light all the little things and insignificant things that we thought nobody cared about. We thought nobody saw. But he said, I saw you, I saw you reach out to the lost. I saw you pray for that person when I told you to pray. You know what? I saw Willie. Uh, this past week we had prayer room. Yeah, uh, it was a rough week. We, a lot of people couldn't be there for prayer. I think Willie was on every set of prayer. I'm not kidding. One day, Willie, you'll come before the Lord, and the Lord will say, I saw your faithfulness that week, and it moved me, and it blessed me. And there will be something that God will give you that will affect eternity. Can you imagine that? Every small decision affecting thousands and thousands of years. This creates a holy fear of God to say, God, I want to give you everything now. One other portion of Scripture, and I'll close here. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Is that making sense to you guys? Yes. So the judgment seat of Christ is not, it's not the great white throne. This isn't a place to be shamed and condemned. But it does produce something in our hearts where we want to we please him. We want to give him everything. It all matters. So 1 Peter chapters, uh, chapter 1, and I'm going to close out here. I'm going to read from verse 17. I'll start in verse 17. You guys there? I want to make sure you have this. We're going to close here. There's so many other portions of Scripture you can go to to see what I just shared over and over again. And in the new year, we'll see more. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Peter speaks on the same principles. Hear this. He says, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds. Now, you call him his father. That means you're a son and daughter. That means you are saved. So let's read it again. He says, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, ready? Conduct yourselves with fear, fear of the Lord, throughout the time of your exile. So here is the same principle one again. Number one, Peter says, that our Father, there's a judgment. This is not, again, a judgment of salvation. I cannot be more clear of this. We are not trying to earn that by any means. This is actually responding to the incredible gift he's given us. So this is not about judgment, about entering into the kingdom of heaven, but as we'll see in weeks to come, it is about rewards and the authority of which you will operate in the age to come. I know that may be foreign to some, but that is real. Jesus often speaks about this. A kingdom has levels of authority. We're not going to be jealous and competing. Uh, in fact, those who are the greatest, what do they do the most? They serve the most. So, so, so even those who have been most faithful, who receive something really unique, I want, to, want you to notice in the age to come, they'll be the greatest servants of all. This is not going to be like people walking around saying, look at me, look what I've done. Actually, those who have, done, who have been faithful behind the scenes that God has rewarded in a unique, unique way, in the age to come, they're going to be the ones laying down their life more than anyone. It's the way the kingdom of God works. So he says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, time on this earth. 
So again, we say, wait a minute, hold on. Father and fear. Why are we called to fear our father? This father is the one that's adopted you. He's, he's made you a son and daughter. He's washed you. He's cleansed you. He now provides and protects. Jesus always pointing to the father who's got his eye on you to take care of you. Now it's saying walk in the fear of this father. What does that mean again? It's not the cowarding fear. Most of us probably have a hard time understanding this because we probably didn't have great earthly relationships with our father. But this fear is when you so love your father, you don't want to do anything to, to dishonor or displease your father. And so that's what Peter's saying here, saying knowing one day you're going to come before your good father, your perfect father who has been so good to you, you want to walk in a holy fear so that you have a faithful life to present to him. And he's about to say, don't you know that the precious blood of Jesus was spilt for you to have this life? Therefore, give something in response that's worthy of what was paid for you. The fear, the fear that's talking about here is the fear we talked about before. It's coming before a good father and having my, my works be deemed unfaithful. <laughs> Not salvation. I, you, we, me and you don't want to get before a father who's been so good and gave such assignments and promises and things and gifts and found out that we were unfaithful in that. Oh, we're with him forever, but there was so much more we could have stepped into. And so let's read it again. It says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, same language that Paul had, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And here's where Peter begins to give the ultimate exhortation on not treating the redemption of Christ lightly. This is, this is the motivation to give everything now. Look what he says, verse 18. Knowing, or because, since that, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so Peter says, live a life that pleases your father, knowing this, that you were redeemed, you were ransomed. That's slave language. We were bound in the kingdom of darkness, and it says you were paid with by a price and not some pathetic treasures like silver and gold. <laughs> he says you were paid with by the precious blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus was poured out for you. And what Peter's trying to awaken is we want to, it's almost like live with a fear that we didn't treat the blood of Jesus precious. Live with a fear like we, like we treated the blood wasn't enough for us to walk in what God created us for. Live one day coming before the Father and saying, Father, you paid the highest price, your blood, and I, I settled for this. <laughs> if this is what you paid for, God, I want to give you everything that's available in me. Yes? It says, for by the blood of Jesus, you were ransomed, from the futile ways. You know what that means? That's the same thing that's, that uh, Paul said. It means meaningless, pointless, uh, fruitless. It means wanderer. In other words, all of us prior to Christ, you know what our lives were like? They were meaningless, purposeless. We were wandering around, wasting our time on things that had no eternal value. And Peter's saying, you've been bought now by the precious blood of Jesus so that you would not live according to worthless things, but you would live for what you've been made for knowing one day you'll come before God and you want to give the one who gave you new life something. You want to say, Lord, here it is. And then he finishes it off. And we'll close here, verse 20. Maybe, Mark, if you could put something on, just soft to play. Verse 20 to 21. 
Peter's not yet done talking about how beautiful the blood of Jesus and how precious it is. For he says this, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. <laughs> this plan of Jesus' blood being spilled for me and you was not something that was last second thought up. <laughs> this was established before the foundations of the earth. And he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. Which means the Father's plan to ransom us through the blood of his Son, it couldn't just be a, a good idea. It actually had to become a plan that took action. And so the Son was manifested. He actually came and carried out this plan. For what purpose? This is, this is just mind-blowing. This is earth-shattering. It says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. <laughs> for whose sake? Why did God store up this plan before you and I ever took a breath? Why did Jesus come and subject himself to the brokenness of this earth and the hostility and the cross and everything else? Peter says it's for one primary purpose, for you, for you, and for me. And Peter's saying in light of that, give everything to this Father. For none of us know the day or hour which our last breath will be taken on this earth. I am more convinced of that now than ever. I've known more people, I feel like, that, are, that I've seen their lives be lost than, than I ever could imagine. And I recognize how frail life is. And we have one opportunity. It's not a fear thing like a, like a bad fear. It's, God, I want to I walk in wisdom. If my life comes out of alignment, I want to quickly repent. I want to turn back to you. I want to bring everything under you because I know there's one life. And when I think about how lost I was and how much grace you've given in my life, and the price that you paid, how could I ever not give you everything? And I say it again, it'll be messy, it'll be sloppy, that's not what he's looking for, but it's the holy intention. So he says, for your sake, who through him are believers in God, verse 21, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So it was this blood that reconciled you. I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. Or whatever you need to do to just focus on the Lord. And I'm going to pray over us for a minute. And then for those who like, we'll pray specifically if you'd like to stay. But however you want to respond to the Lord right now, I'm just going to invite you to respond. I see some are kneeling. You can do whatever you want. Stand, kneel but I, I do ask you to respond somehow in your heart to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just want you to consider all that we've shared. I want you to consider that everything matters. I pray right now, Lord, that you would encourage people who feel overlooked, who feel inadequate when they stack up their, their gifts compared to someone else. 
who feel like they have one talent. Lord, I pray that you would break comparison and envy. I pray you would break us doing anything for your kingdom motivated from that self-interest. Lord, I pray you would liberate hearts to the glorious reality that we live continually under your watchful gaze, that loving gaze. And that every weak yes blesses you. I thank you, Lord. I, I thank you, Lord, for just giving vision to people now of what that glorious day will be like when we come before you. And we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over the little. I won't trust much more to you. Lord, I pray for grace to be good stewards over the calls you've given us, over the assignments that you've given us. Lord, I pray for an awareness that not just this room, but every room is holy and sacred. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for a holy zeal to give everything that we have in this life. For you gave everything for us. Yeah. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you even just show places in my life, in all of our lives, things that are not even bad, but they're just wasting time. You know, a few months ago, just stay where you are in this, a few months ago, after an altar call, Crystal said the Lord spoke to her one time about me. And it was with just having unhealthy habit of watching too much TV and shows and the Lord said, tell him that he's wasting his time. I'm his child, but I was wasting time. Lord, I pray for a holy fear of the Lord to grip our hearts. That we would not set our mind or attention on things that are not of eternal value. So I pray that as people come and go here, I pray for grace. I pray for grace to break, to break things off of life. And I pray, I pray, Lord, for the spirit of encouragement to keep being faithful, knowing you see it. Lord, would you deliver us from living for the eyes of man and teach us how to really live for your eye? Teach us how to really live for an audience of one, Lord. Whatever that looks like, God, I pray you would lead us into that. In Jesus' name, amen.